Hello, I'm Alison Wilson, Linklater's Global Head of Dispute Resolution and Chair of our Investigations Cross-Practice Initiative. I'm delighted to welcome you to the Linklater's Investigations Insights podcast. In this podcast series, thought leaders and subject matter experts from our Investigations Network explore some of the challenges and complexities that specialists' investigation work can present and share best practice and guidance. Thanks for joining us. I hope you find the episode useful. Hello, I'm Rachel Metcalf, a Managing Associate in the Litigation, Arbitration and Investigations practice at Linklaters based in London. And I'm joined firstly today by my colleague Claire MacDonald, who is also a Managing Associate in the LAI practice based in London. Hi Claire. Hi everyone. Uh, as well as, excitingly, two guest speakers, Will Crawford and Philip Kay, who are the founders of Argyle Strategy, an international advisory firm that provides intelligence, investigations and communications advice to clients facing complex problems. Welcome both of you to our Investigations Insights podcast. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Richard. So the reason Claire and I thought that this podcast would be really valuable is that we often get asked by clients about whether and how intelligence and particularly human intelligence can be used to assist their investigations, both large and small. And actually, if you kind of have a look out there at what there is online to help with what happens in this sort of process, there isn't really that much out there to demystify the process. So that is our plan today with the kind assistance of Will and Philip and their experience. So I'm going to kick us off first with a, a broad kind of scene setting question. So Will or Philip, can one of you please explain to our listeners what is open source information or OSINT? Why is it different to open source intelligence or OSINT? And what is human intelligence or humant? <laughs> Great. Thanks, Rachel. We'll, we'll get straight into it. So open source information is essentially data that's collated from the public domain that's legally obtainable which is collected, collated, and organized. It's the basis of people's knowledge about a situation, entity, or event, essentially the story of what happened. So OSINF becomes OSINT, open source intelligence, when human analysis and context is applied to the specific needs of the task. In other words, making clear why the data is relevant and what patterns or conclusions can be drawn from the information that has been collected. Humint, human intelligence, on the other hand, is information collected from and provided by human sources. This information is by its nature not necessarily public knowledge and is dependent on the access of a network of sources that you speak to on, for any given task. Thank you, that's really helpful. And so how and why is OSINT obtained in practice? So first of all, I mean, there's a staggering amount of information available online. So everything from social media likes to location pings from electronic cars, everything is available online. And with access to the right databases and analytical tools, OSINT can reveal invaluable insights if you know where to look. There are specific tools, for instance, for locating and tracking the flight path of private aircraft, which may tell you where the jet's owner is spending significant time in a particular country, possibly with a view to developing a new market, asset, or offering. But trained analysts with the right knowledge can access a huge amount of information from the comfort and safety of their own laptop. Invariably, OSINT is the basis for an investigation into a particular person, entity or situation, and often it's the way in which someone or something is presented can tell its own story. So for instance, you know, so search engine optimization or SEO is increasingly common and is sometimes used to disguise or obscure information that is critical of the subject. 
we were looking recently into a British businessman whose Google profile was at first glance great. It was, it was populated by puff pieces, random social media accounts, and obscure database profiles, all of which rank really, really well on Google, but together indicate that he had probably something to hide. And digging a bit deeper, we then eventually found reports alleging his involvement in corruption abroad and various other reports that he probably wouldn't want people to see. Thanks. Well, that's really interesting. Actually, a good reminder for all of us about the use of SEO and what you see at the top of a Google search isn't necessarily always what you'll get after a bit of digging. So then, why does Argyle specialise in human intelligence when open source intelligence seems to be so useful? You're right. Open source intelligence is, is really useful. It's fantastic. Uh, but it does have its limitations. And particularly when you're working on complex cross-border cases or in jurisdictions where information is hard to come by or easily manipulated or even, as, as in that example, on a subject or entity that is trying to hide its activities. So this is really where humans can play a pivotal role. Asking the right questions of the right people, uh, while understanding the sensitivities that may be in play, is all down to having the right network and managing it professionally. This network can be trusted to handle issues carefully and discreetly, and that is invaluable, and allows us, in turn, to provide our clients with what we call ground truth intelligence, i.e a true understanding of the facts on the ground and the nuances at play, rather than just what's being reported on the issue. So there have been many cases where you get underway with open source and after a relatively short time, you begin to feel like you're going around in circles and sometimes your leads run dry. Human breaks this cycle and allows us in many cases to speed up significantly the progress of an investigation. Additional input from people close to the subject can point you in the right direction. It can flag up links or even entities that you weren't aware of and offers more lines of inquiry to develop. Again, this creates opportunity for the legal team and for the client to achieve the objectives thereafter. It's critical, however, that human is not used in isolation, but instead works in tandem or parallel with OSINT. So we use OSINT all the time to identify where gaps are and therefore where we need to focus on our human resources. And it can often be revisited again once we've actually had the feedback from the human network and we've got a good lead. So we can then cross-check the findings or, or provide documentary support to evidentialize the intelligence. So often these come in the form of corporate records, but, but they can provide color to the information that people tell us, whether in asset traces or in understanding events around a dispute. So it's use human intelligence and open source intelligence in parallel. The human intelligence can help to speed up the process of an investigation because you can kind of use that to get you towards the right conclusion, perhaps you get to that a bit more quickly and then step back and use the open source intelligence to move towards that and evidentialize it. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. That's all really interesting. I, I, I do wonder as a lawyer whether there are any sort of downsides or particular difficulties that you face when you're gathering such intelligence. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, there are, there are always problems with different projects that you, you encounter, but one of the main issues is that you never know what you're going to find before you set out. Um, so that's why, I mean, it's really important for us to take a really good care to scope the task out as best we can to be as confident as possible that we can actually deliver. And again, when you take a phased approach to these, these things and make sure we're totally clear about what we're looking for, it makes things so much easier. It's much better for the client. It's much better for us. Uh, you've got a specific goal and, you know, you've got a very, very defined output that you're looking for. One of the other problems that we face is the changing asks and the way that it morphs as the project goes on. So here, that's where the, the communication really is critical with, uh, between us and the client or their lawyers. So, for example, we worked on a, a pre-transactional investigation into a family-run business in the Middle East. 
um, starting off with quite a broad remit uh, to support an acquisition. By the time we were due to report, the deal team actually told us that their conversations had moved on a bit and actually they were more interested in perhaps leaving the father aside and focusing really on partnering with the son. So they were interested in finding out more about the relationships around who the real decision maker would be. Would the father still be involved? How would that work even if he was cut out of the executive structure after post-acquisition? So in that instance, we were obviously able to pivot a bit and delve into the nuances, but it led to a bit of a delay in terms of them actually getting stuff that they really, really wanted to understand. And ultimately, I suppose the the major difficulty is that what we're doing and the, the work that we do relies on people. And our work is vulnerable to all the foibles and failings that normal people have. So that could be bias, it could be hidden motivations to disclose certain information, it can be providing inaccurate details as memories fade, uh, you know, the list goes on. But you can safeguard against it. History is littered with plenty of government or private sector mishaps on account of single source reporting. That's basically over-relying on one source for a particularly critical piece of information. And that's why we always find it so important to triangulate our findings, make sure that we've got other sources that can either contribute or we bring in open source information to really consolidate and back up what they're telling us. Thanks, Will. And I mean, I've been finding it really helpful to hear your examples of things that you've worked on. I think it'll be helpful for our listeners to kind of envisage the scenarios where intelligence could be used by them or you know, used against them. Do you have any like general themes of work that you tend to, to do for clients? Yeah, I mean, generally our work falls into two categories, both of which benefit from a combination of HUMIT and OSINT. Firstly, there's our proactive work like due diligence supporting M&A. And secondly, there's our reactive work, often in times of crisis supporting litigation. For example, we supported a large multinational in a dispute with a partner who they believed had been involved in some corrupt activity. After a thorough analysis of information in the public domain, we focused on developing and working with human sources close to the partner to provide a better understanding of their associates, who they were mixing with, and ultimately to identify areas of their operations that weren't quite what they seemed to be. This included the discovery of an offshore structure across Cayman, BVI and Panama that was used to facilitate payments that ultimately led to a senior politician. Now this is where the OSINT came to the fore. We were able to gather targeted corporate filings, database analysis and news articles to support our human intelligence, which was then deployed as part of negotiations to reach a favourable outcome in the dispute. It sounds really exciting. I know we've used firms um, such as yourselves to help our clients, for example, on things like dispute resolution strategies, so on whether the counterparties are kind of clean, and it can be used to help with insurers looking into complex losses and claims. And we've definitely seen it in the kind of asset tracing category in corporate and financial crime type investigations. I don't know, Claire, what have you seen? I've certainly seen it used in the context of corporate investigations, for example, if you're trying to map ownership structures or identify potential witnesses or, you know, other persons of interest, especially where there's nothing or very little to be found on the public record. We do also see clients that benefit from strategic intelligence in, for example, large-scale cross-border disputes where there can be geopolitical aspects that still need to be factored into the legal and risk analysis. And and another thing that occurs to me, actually, there's So we're seeing a big focus um, by authorities and the general public, to be honest, in ESG issues. 
and that includes requiring our clients and, and you know companies to be much more mindful of their supply chains and supply chain risk and, and understanding what's going on there. Is that something that human intelligence could assist with? Yes, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I suppose in many cases, the nuances of a relationship between a supplier and a customer can't always be reflected in open source or can't be mapped out with sophisticated tools. So human intelligence, that human insight can be vital in understanding relationships between companies and their principles and indeed with local communities. We've recently supported a mining company in Africa that wanted to understand why local community sentiment towards them had soured and how that was being reflected in their engagements with central government. Now, after some investigation, it turned out that this company had recently changed its local logistics supplier, which had been owned by a local influential figure. This individual had then used their political connections to disrupt the operations. So it's a really good example where open source intelligence can get you so far that it was really understanding the nuances on the ground that led to the resolution or the identification of the particular issue. That all sounds definitely valuable. As a risk-averse lawyer, I wonder whether you could um, point us to any pitfalls, especially legal ones, that our clients need to be aware of in using both OSINT and HUMINT and the relevant laws that you need to be mindful of when you are collecting and deploying intelligence. Obviously, data privacy in particular comes to mind. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, data privacy is vital for us for both OSINT and HUMINT-led investigations. So. GDPR and you know, other similar laws mean that investigators have to be really careful about how they secure information, how they store it, what they do with it. And you know, we're very, very mindful of how that plays into our investigations. At the same time, there are other laws that, such as you know, the right to be forgotten that you see when you Google people and it says some results may have been removed, that can make it much more difficult to, to find information online in the first place. So I think it's interesting how the, the right to privacy does play both ways on these in these investigations. On the human side in particular, the, the UK Bribery Act and FCPA, the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, are really the vital ones to understand and abide by. The penalties are really severe and we're always very clear and, and sure that anyone we work with knows that it will not be tolerated. Sometimes when you're working directly with a client, the, the desire to get results or the temptation to find that next sort of small nugget of information leads to requests to cross the line, which obviously we just do not do. And there's a reason why we like working with conservative and uh, risk-averse lawyers who not actually know the limits of what we can do and who can think creatively about the ways to operationalise and use the information and intelligence that we get. That's a flattering description of lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> we do our best. Yeah. Certainly from, um, from a lawyer's perspective, you know, data privacy issues are hugely important and have to be factored into you know, every single investigation or dispute that we're involved in. And you know, if clients and, and their advisors haven't complied with, with these laws and the GDPR rules in carrying out investigations, there's, there's an obvious risk that evidence is actually being obtained in breach of law and therefore can't be, you know, that intelligence can't be converted into evidence. So again, speaking as a lawyer, you know, it becomes very important to make sure that clients have their ducks in a row and that the right policies and procedures are in place at all times, That's, you know, including even before you get to that point of having a dispute or an investigation actually happening. I completely agree. So we're coming to an end of the podcast, but I want to ask one final question that I feel I'd be remiss not to ask. So are you worried about AI in the sector and do you see it as a threat or an opportunity? 
Thanks, Rachel. Um, good, good question, and it is something we think about a lot. I think it's important to stress that AI is here to stay for the long run, so we very much see it as an opportunity. There's already been significant strides made by firms in our sector who are able to scrape the internet and collect accessible due diligence information. And this is fantastic if, for example, you're a large investment bank who, for regulatory purposes, must monitor its client base. You've got a high volume of cases which are all relatively low level in their nature. So AI can save you significant amounts of time and money. So it's a fantastic product. These same platforms are really helpful for a firm like us too in conducting our initial uh, scrape to help set the foundations for a project. However, our work by its very nature tends to be complex and multifaceted. The AI tools help us to collate the open source intelligence, but this information still then needs to be fact-checked, stress-tested and evaluated. There have been plenty of cases where AI simply gets it wrong or material in the open source is being deliberately manipulated. So we feel that there's still a good space for human to add value with the appropriate case. Still room for humans. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> well, sadly, that brings us to the end of this podcast. But Will and Philip, Claire and I would like to extend a huge thank you to you for coming in. It's been great to actually sit in a room with you and, and do this today. Hopefully, we have just demystified the use of human intelligence and, and general intelligence in investigations. Thank, thank you very you. much. Yeah, thank you very much. So thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about the topics we've discussed today or explore our investigation services more broadly, please speak with your usual Linklater's contact, click on the contact details provided for this episode or visit the investigations page on the linklaters.com website. I hope you'll join us again for more investigations insights. <laughs>